Hello, we're about to start a new book of the Bible, Ezra, and we're actually about to start a whole new phase of history. So this book of Ezra and the one that comes after it, Nehemiah, they are what we call post-exilic. So all the way, we've been going through the history, you know, from Genesis right through to the end of Chronicles, and all of that has happened what is, uh, you know, before the exile, and what we call pre-exilic. So, you know, every book so far has been pre-exilic. But now what's happened is, you know, the Israelites were taken away, tribe nation of Judah was taken away in exile. They were gone for 70 years, but now people start coming back. So now we're into the uh, post-exilic period and the next two books are all post-exilic. And of course, everything in the New Testament is post-exilic. And some of the prophets are like um, Zechariah and Malachi. There are only a few, a very small part of the Bible happens actually in the exile. Most of the Bible is either pre-exilic or post-exilic. But there are a few things that are in the exile, and that would be the book of Esther and the book of Daniel, and some of the prophets like um, Ezekiel. So we will uh, we'll get to those. So in a sense, we're kind of jumping over the exile. We haven't talked about it yet. We're going to talk about some post-exilic stuff and later. We'll come back and talk about things that happened in the exile, Esther, Daniel, and um, prophet Ezekiel. So here we are, Ezra chapter 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh's word by Jeremiah's mouth was accomplished. Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Whoever is left in any place where he lives, let the man of his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, and with animals, in addition to the freewill offering for God's house, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the father's households of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, all whose spirit God had stirred to go up, rose up to build Yahweh's house, which is in Jerusalem. All those who were around them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with animals, and with precious things, in addition to all that was willingly offered. Also, Cyrus the king brought out the vessels of Yahweh's house, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought out of Jerusalem, and he put in the house of his gods. Even those Cyrus king of Persia brought out by the hand of Mithridath the treasurer and counted them out to Sheshbazar the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 platters of gold, 1,000 platters of silver, 29 knives, 30 bowls of gold, 410 silver bowls of of a second sort, and another thousand other vessels. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. Sheshbazar brought all of these up when the captives were brought up from Babylon to Jerusalem. So what's been described in this chapter is a king called Cyrus. King Cyrus says, you guys should return to Jerusalem to build the Lord's house. And there's a guy called Sheshbazar who's in charge of taking them back. So you might have thought, oh, Ezra takes them back. Yeah, Ezra takes them back later. <laughs> but here, Sheshbazar takes the first group back. 
And uh, so, you know, Ezra, we'll talk about more as the chapter goes on. But right now we're talking, the first couple of chapters at least, it's about the Israelites that go back to Jerusalem and Cyrus is one of the key figures in this. Now, before I get to Cyrus, I'm going to give you a little bit of background information. The book of Ezra is named after a great man of God, Ezra, who we'll talk about more. And his name means help. And at this point in the history of Israel, they needed God's help. <laughs> and they got Ezra help. And, so, and um, now, in, in your Bible, this book will be called Ezra. And the next book, Nehemiah, will be called Nehemiah. But in some old books, some old Bibles, it was one book called Ezra. This was apparently one scroll, which has been chopped in half and become two, two books. But if you go back far enough, it was originally compiled. Even though it was two different stories, it was compiled together into one scroll called Ezra. Now, if you read other versions, like if you read, for example, the, I think it's the Septuagint, that's the old Greek Old Testament translation. This is actually called, I think from memory, Esdras 2. So the, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are called Esdras 2. They have another book, which is called Esdras 1. And by the way, Esdras is, just means Ezra. And then there was another book they call Esdras 3. Some people, you may possibly have read some of the Apocrypha, and in there, if you read a Catholic Bible, Ezra will be called Esdras 1, Nehemiah will be called Esdras 2, um, there's a third book called Esdras 3, and another book called Esdras 4 in, the Catholic, in some old Catholic Bibles. So there are different ways these are called. The name Esdras and the name Ezra is the same thing. But for simplicity, <laughs> here in our Bible, it says Ezra and Nehemiah. And when we get to the apocryphal books at the very end of our Bible series, we will read the books um, in the Catholic Bible, sometimes called Esdras. So there you go. So the children of Israel went into exile, and we covered that just, you know, yesterday in, in, in video terms, when in the book of Chronicles, the children of Israel were sent off. And while they were away um, under the Babylonians, um, things happened. First of all, the Babylonians came along and defeated, the Persians came along and defeated the Babylonians. So the Israelites were now no longer under the Babylonians, they were now under the Persian control. Persians thought very differently and they brought about changes. But other things happened. One thing happened was that the language of Hebrew started to go away and was replaced by the language of Aramaic. So that all started to happen in this period of time when the Jews were not in Jerusalem, but they were all away. Their language started to change and their alphabet changed. And so the alphabet is, um, it's the way they write their language. So initially when they were in exile, they still spoke Hebrew, but they started using the Aramaic alphabet. So that'd be a little bit like, you know, Chinese people, they speak in Chinese, they write in Chinese, but imagine they start writing with English, the English alphabet, but still the Chinese words. So the, you know, the Chinese word for hello is ni hao, I think. So instead of writing it with their hieroglyphs and their squiggles, they would write it in with English letters like N-I-H-O-W, something like that, Nihao. So there's a change of alphabet there. So you can see how you can write different words with different alphabets. So what's happened here is that they've gone off to exile with a Hebrew language and a Hebrew alphabet, but they've come back from exile with a Hebrew language and an Aramaic alphabet, and then in time, the Hebrew language more or less went away until the point when Jesus came, they were all speaking Aramaic except for a few very highly trained experts. So 
When you look at, say, a movie like The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and he's holding the Ten Commandment tablets and it's got Hebrew written on there, what's actually there is Hebrew um, language but Aramaic alphabet. That's those square-looking symbols you see on the Ten Commandments or on other things that you recognize as Hebrew is actually an Aramaic alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet is different to that and it's older. That's what we call the Paleo-Hebrew. So yeah, the Ten Commandments would have had something different on them to what you see in the Ten Commandments movie. So that's a change that happened while they were in exile. A few other things happened too. The province of Judah was now administered by the Persians and became very small. Um, the old land of Judah uh, included towns like Hebron, Lashish, Beersheba and more. In the new land of Judah, they are not included. The Jews, um, when they returned from exile, they were very monotheistic. Whereas you'll remember, we've been discussing going through all the history, how they struggled with not worshipping the other god, trying to not worship the other gods. And the Lord kept sending prophet after prophet. Well, now they're done with that. That struggle doesn't exist anymore. They've come back from exile and the punishment has cured them. <laughs> They'll have other struggles, don't worry. But that one's gone. So there's some of the things that happened while they were in exile and many others as well. But I want to take a minute now and talk about Cyrus. So Cyrus is the king of Persia. And Cyrus is the one that we just read, commissioned them and sent them back. He said, God wants me to build a house for him, a temple. And as we find out, it's not actually until later in the book of, of Ezra that they start building on that temple. But for now, they go back. And uh, Cyrus is an interesting figure because he's the only, as far as I know, he's the only person named specifically in a prophecy about the future. So when Isaiah the prophet was getting his prophecies, you know, in the 700s BC, you know, more than 200 years before this, he actually names Cyrus by name. And he wrote this, you can look it up in Isaiah chapter 44. If you read from verses 24 to 28, and then the next chapter, Isaiah 45 verses one to five, he get, Cyrus gets mentioned by name twice. Now there are a lot of prophecies in the Bible which talk about the future, but this is very, very interesting and unique because Cyrus, a person who hasn't even been born yet, gets named. Now, Jesus, Jesus also gets named in advance too. It says that he shall be called Emmanuel. Well, that, that was one of his names. But the Cyrus one is very, very interesting. Here we go, Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says. Now, remember, this prophecy is about Cyrus. The Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, and the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins I will restore them, who says to the watery deep, be dry, I will dry up your streams, and who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I take a hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him, so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you 
Remember, this is a prophecy to Cyrus. I will go before you. I will level the mountains. I will break down bars of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, that you may know that I am the Lord. The God of Israel summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. But I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. So that's a little patch out of Isaiah. And Cyrus gets mentioned twice in that little patch. In verse 28 of chapter 44, he says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish what I please. He will say to Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And then in chapter um, 45, the Lord says to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold, he will subdue nations before him. And this is what Cyrus did. He became the king of Persia. He subdued nations, conquered the Babylonians, built the Persian empire. And then he said, I will rebuild Jerusalem. And all of this was prophesied 200 years before by Isaiah the prophet. Now, Isaiah the prophet called him by two interesting names, or the Lord did rather, but the Lord said of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. So the first description that I think is interesting is that Cyrus is called a shepherd. The other that's interesting is in 45.1 where the Lord says to his anointed Cyrus. Now do you know what that is? That's the word Messiah. So Cyrus here is called a shepherd and a Messiah because he was going to, you know, basically restore the, the people of Israel back to their land. He was going to give them their land and he was going to, you know, give them calm. And that is a picture of what shepherds and messiahs do. <laughs> if you think of Jesus, our great messiah, he's also the good shepherd. And he's the one that restores us to us the land that was taken. You know, our, he restores to us our place with Christ. So that's Christ our messiah. And Cyrus is the only Gentile that gets called the an anointed one or a messiah in the Bible. So I think it's very, very fascinating. Apparently, there was a Greek historian called Herodotus, and he wrote a lot about Cyrus. And he said that Cyrus, um, before he was born, his I think it was his grandfather. Um, I'm gonna. I think I have his name written down here, Astyages or something. Astyages, yeah, his grandfather, he believed that his grandson was going to overthrow the kingdom and take it off him. So he gave instructions for his grandson to be, to be killed. And so this is Cyrus, his little boy. Apparently, according to Herodotus, they took this little boy out and they were going to kill him in the fields, but the, the soldier who was doing it had compassion for him and just left him there and didn't kill him. And apparently he was discovered by a shepherd. And apparently the shepherd raised this boy as his own. So Cyrus actually grew up as a shepherd, <laughs> interestingly, according to Herodotus anyway. But later on, apparently um, Astyages or someone in the royal family had a change of mind and they found out he was alive and they brought him back. And he ended up, he did become the, the king. So he ended up becoming a shepherd and he became the one who restored Israel and put them back in their land. So he very much was a shepherd in a spiritual sense of providing peace for them and providing for them, but he also was actually a shepherd. And I think all of that is super, super interesting. So, and then at the end of the chapter, of course, they go into the stores and they find, you know, a thousand bowls of this, and 29 knives of this, and they, they find all the leftover pieces of the temple that they can find. They send them back for the rebuilding of the temple. But you notice, no Ark of the Covenant, 
and the other things are gone. And so not everything was able to be sent back. And that shows us that when the second temple was eventually built, there's no Ark of the Covenant in it. The glory wasn't in the temple, but the glory arrived at the temple when Christ arrived at the temple. <laughs> so um, I actually had four pages of notes for this chapter. There's a lot to say. I haven't covered it all, but time to you know explore further in the days ahead. Lord, thank you for Ezra. Um, and this book and all that's in it. We thank you for the prophecy of Isaiah predicting the coming of Cyrus. And I thank you even greater than that was Isaiah's prediction of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit, give us understanding and wisdom, and may we love and appreciate the word of God. Amen.